Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan and a Liverpool fan. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule We Get It podcast coming to you from a basement car park today. We have many different locations. Uh, we were at the FA Awards this week and we are going to inject a bit of that glitter and glamour later on in this podcast. But Kate Borsay and I are currently sat. You've got your Parker jacket still on. Do you know what? I need to take this off because I've just realised in an Arsene Wenger style puffer zipper scenario that I might get into trouble with this kind of ruffling. Yeah, it is a bit yeah. rustly. Go on, get it get it off. Shed your layers. Yeah, we, we haven't actually been out on the road. We're, we're just in a car park. Yeah, we're that stationary. We're those people that you walk past and people think what the hell's going on there well I'll tell you what's going on we are going to be talking a couple of topics this week and have an interview with Jill Scott of Manchester City Women what a season it's been for them WSL season over they get a bit of respite now all fleeing off to Dubai yes they are and we um, heard from three of the City players Lucy Bronze Kosovara Aslani and um, Jen Beatty in the last podcast that was live at the Etihad we managed to collar Jill we talk a little bit about City, but most importantly, this is the launch of our brand new feature, Lindsay. Yes, now you came up with this. Talk us through it. It's not players, but it no. is called Best Eleven. Best Eleven, Best Eleven answers that a player can give us to a set of questions. That immediately puts them on the hop, Lindsay. I understand that, and sometimes it's good to keep these footballers on their toes in many different ways. I'm sure they love us when we announce it as uh, as their Best Eleven answers. But yeah, we just chuck 11 questions at them, sporting and non-sporting, and see what they got yeah being put on the spot is difficult I thought Jill coped admirably and she batted a couple back to us as well which I I liked Uh, but we're also going to talk about worrying teams across Europe right now as we're heading towards Christmas which teams are at the wrong end of the table and feel like that isn't a place that they really should be going into this very manic period looking up and down Europe we're going to pick out a couple of teams each also interviews it's been the England interview I find this hilarious because we talk about the England manager's job and interviews but really it's interview there's no plural it was just Gareth Southgate so whether he gets it or not as we record this podcast it's yet to be announced what do you think about that just quickly do you think he's the man for the job um, I think he's the man because there, there is no other contender is there it's it's a choice of one yeah exactly it's just because that's him he's the best candidate because he's the only choice right now that is applicable that has inspired us to talk about other footballing interviews interviews that maybe have gone wrong at football clubs Mm. different things that have happened if you have any of these by the way you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod let us know some of yours Mm. Um, I always like to read those it's not going to go on the podcast the podcast will have been and gone but we read it Um, let's crack on with this podcast then Hi, this is Kirsty Gallagher and I love the Offside Rule podcast. So, Kate, we're going to cast our eyes up and down Europe in just a second and look at teams who are in a position that they really don't want to be in heading into this manic period that's coming up with fixtures all over the place. We've had a, a week this week of Champions League football as well. Just generally speaking, how are you feeling about the football season this season? I think it's up and down. It's a really interesting season. I like the fact that we've seen several changes to the top of the table already. Now Chelsea top the table, of course, uh, and this... As we record this, yeah. Yeah, uh, and the new formation of Antonio Conte really seems to be paying off. How long he's going to keep that for? Obviously, in last week's podcast, we spoke about what sort of concerned us about the teams at the top and sort of where they might falter. 
But stories like Victor Moses coming into his own, there are just there are some great stories, and they're coming from really unlikely players, I suppose, when you consider how much money and how many high-value players are coming into the league. A bit like Leicester, we're seeing a couple of really nice romantic stories as well. They've done so well, Chelsea, since going to the, the back three mm. that Conte has implemented, and that's working marvellously for them. However, what I will say is, did you not feel a little bit sorry the other night as you saw Ivanovic coming on <laughs> for only the second time since they reverted to that system this season? He's come on as a substitute. And his little face... I thought he looked really broken. Yeah. What about this for adding this into the mix? Uh, moment of genius from, from the weekend. The Manchester United fans who locked themselves in the toilets at Old Trafford successfully overnight because they were so desperate to see that Arsenal game. I think that they might have been removed from the stadium before the game, hence spending a completely pointless night in a toilet. But I have to say props to them anyway for doing it. Well, let's move on to Manchester United very quickly. Seeing as it's Hayley McQueen's absence, we'll give them a mention for her. Juan Mata and Mourinho isn't that an interesting development because he is like their star man at the moment mm. um, the, the finish for that goal was brilliant I thought he was superb throughout that game uh, Valencia got man of the match but I actually would have given it to Mata myself what do you think is going to go on with this relationship between the two of them they look very chummy now it's like the magnificent mind play by Mourinho or it's Mata just thinking I know I've got the talent blow you all I'm going to go and do my thing anyway so I think we'll probably know towards the end of the season maybe after the season who knows exactly what's happened there um, but regardless the most important thing is that Matt is playing and he's playing really really well and Mourinho needs that the whole team need that at the moment it's not really a winning mentality to this team yet though is it no. this Manchester United team no. and there are seasons gone by where Arsenal would never have got back in that mm. game yeah and I think Mourinho quickly needs to establish a bit like Conte's done at Chelsea actually he's done a very efficient job of figuring out what to do and I suppose his first change of plan has worked Mourinho has he changed his plan at all yeah I I, I think he has been changing his plans none of them have quite worked yet so there there, there needs to be a period of settling in Um, but right now he really needs to be stumbling across what's going to make that team tick if they're to be serious contenders throughout the season a quick mention Spurs out of Europe out of Champions League do we think that that means now focus more on the league? Yeah, I think so. I was working with a Spurs fan last night. In fact, he was sat opposite me and all I could hear was groans. I was watching the the Leicester game because I'm an optimistic person, quite like happy, happy score lines. All I'm going to say is this, Spurs fans, okay? If Spurs fans are continually pessimistic, right, they only ever expect their team to go so far. Why don't they change their mindsets? And maybe the force of the positive energy. Come on, Spurs fans, you know you can do it. Maybe the force of the energy will allow Spurs to do something. But you know what? Yeah, I think it's disappointing. It's been five years since they've been in Europe. Don't know how long they're going to have to wait again. Maybe it was a distraction. Maybe they have got more important things on their mind. But you know what? It would have been really lovely for the fans if they'd have stayed in Europe because that's, as we know, uncharted territory for them really in terms of the Champions League for them to go sort of far in that competition I don't know is the answer I hope it allows them time to concentrate on the on the league but there's so much happening with the league you can't really predict mm. and your club's manager mm. still my favourite manager in yeah. the league love yeah. Jürgen and I love what he said about Wayne Rooney as well all these incidents that have happened over the last seven days I do think are we a bit too strict with our footballers? Do we honestly expect when they haven't got a game for nearly six or seven days not to just have a couple of jars? 
Yeah, there's a really interesting blog on our website about this, about how we um, about how we spend so much time obsessing about what footballers do. Shouldn't it just be about what happens on the pitch rather than a big media furore? In fact, a bigger media furore about what happens off the pitch when those incidents are like Wayne singing marathon at the Grove Hotel <laughs> during international duty. It isn't a big deal to me. I'm not particularly interested in that side of it. Um, and I would really want to concentrate on the football. Um, I think Jürgen is still my favourite too. bit disappointed with the draw against Southampton. I thought we lacked a bit of fluency, maybe a bit of international fatigue. Who knows? But of course, I'm still a very happy Liverpool fan. Wayne Rooney should just... Look, why can't he enjoy himself in those moments when he's able to? And we don't know from reading those press reports, was he slurring all over the place in a drunken mess or was he just a bit happy? Don't know. I think you've got a point as well about international duty for Liverpool. I mean, Coutinho playing for Brazil, he'd had like long flights yeah. and key players missing, but let's see what happens. Uh, we're going to move on then to worrying teams up and down the leagues mm. in Europe. And I think we might as well start with the Premier League, seeing as we've just had a chat about that league. And Leicester City, who we've, who we've, we've spoken about, and it's seen seems like Claudio Ranieri has prioritised Europe. And why not? You win the Premier League last season, you get into Europe and probably never going to play Champions League football again, let's face it. It might be a one wonder. I think it was always going to be the case that they would struggle depth in squad Mm. to cope with both a very frenetic Premier League, as we know. And I think this season is proving to be... as unpredictable as ever. And Champions League, all those away trips. So, yes, they prioritised it. How far can they go? I don't really know. It is one of those. It could be another Leicester City Mm. story. How crazy would it be when they're only a few points off being dragged into relegation at the moment, that they're in a relegation battle and potentially in the last eight, the last four of the Champions League? Could we see that happening? These new fans that they've picked up all over the world, I've just come back from (laughs) South Africa and Mauritius and still people talk to me about Leicester City when I say I work in football. Yeah, And I wonder whether these fans that they've acquired, um, there was a couple of South Africans who were driving me around. I sound like I've had a driver, that sounds awful. Um, Just having a few touristy trips. And they were talking about Leicester City and I thought, I bet you don't know where they are in the Premier League table. They were talking about them being in the Champions League and they're talking about the fairy tale. But I bet they don't know where they are. I bet they think they're okay. Mm -hmm. I bet everyone around the world thinks oh they'll be okay Mm -hmm. they're not really checking we've been checking we've been checking other (laughs) leagues you've been checking in Spain I have now Valencia didn't have the best of seasons last season and it's certainly not got off to a flying start this season for them they're currently as we record this 16th in La Liga of course the the big news line really if you're English or you've got an English interest is that Gary Neville took over uh, last season friend of Peter Lim of course who's the big cheese there at the club it didn't work out for Gary Neville it lasted not even four months for him he was replaced by Paco Ayesta who of course we've heard of then beginning of this season well actually in October this season came the big appointment when things weren't going well this was the man who was going to turn things around and get Valencia really back to where they belong Uh, they might have finished 12th last season but the season before they were 4th and they are used to being in and around those Champions League places of course they are so up arrives Cesaro Prandelli big Italian Mm. big reputation but it's still not going well for Valencia. As I said, 16th there in La Liga. He was booed at the Mestalla Stadium uh, recently. That was for their last game. They were held to a one-all draw by last place Granada. So that's when it starts to get rough, doesn't oh. it? When you're playing the bottom place team and you can only manage a draw. Uh, this result extended the club's four-game winless streak and it's kept them near the relegation zone. 
the Valencia captains also come out and said that, you know, the club's literally hit rock bottom. I like the fact that they use literals uh, in um, Spain as well. But he also said, we give away childlike goals that you should never concede in La Liga. That's quite a strong thing for the captain to say, to basically accuse the uh, team of playing like children. Look, when you look at a club like Valencia, they've spent 81 of their 85 seasons in La Liga. It would be unthinkable for them to be relegated. Yet for the second season, in a row they're in real serious trouble they are definitely not where they want to be they are in big danger of becoming the Sunderland of La Liga not even Sunderland because it's not like Sunderland were in the Champions League mix they're in big danger of totally capitulating and I know that Peter Lim must be incredibly worried about it can't say that the changes of manager have been particularly healthy for the club but obviously he's wanting to hit on the one person that's going to get them in form and producing the sorts of results that they're used to I'm sticking with the English leagues. Now, I do think that the fortunes around Christmas, I think Santa's delivered his gift early in the shape of Neil Warnock for Cardiff City. Um, But I am going to look at the Championship and Cardiff at the moment and the precarious position that they're in. I do think Warnock will turn this round. I'm not at this precise moment of recording saying Cardiff City are going to go down. What I am saying is Cardiff City are in a spot just outside the playoffs, literally on points, two points off relegation at the moment. You would have thought they would have been tipped for being in the top six, trying to get into the Premier League. Um, The other Welsh club, Swansea, struggling in the Premier League. You'd think they'd see that as an opportunity to be the team that replaces them. Now, as far as Neil Warnock's magic wand of of (laughs) managing goes, I can't see him waving it so much that it gets them into the top six. I think that ship has sailed already at this point in the season. I might be proven wrong with that, but I do think they'll probably get some mid-table safety and then he can build next season if he's given the chance. But what a team. This, You know, since changing colour from blue to red, wanting to introduce the name Dragons, you know, these foreign owners, I think it's one of the examples, along with Blackburn, who are also down there, by the way, in the championship, where unknowledgeable owners... It just screams out on the football pitch. You think that you can avoid it. You think that your players, it's not going to get down to them. It's not going to affect the matters on the pitch. What happens when the whistle goes at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon? But it does. Mm. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we look at these teams that have have had mismatched, what I call it mismatched ownership. You know, I think if you spoke to fans of both Blackburn and Cardiff and said, are you happy with the owners? And bring in the likes of Blackpool and different people Mm -hmm. at different points, people would have said, no, we're not. As a Wolves fan speaking with the Chinese owners, I'm I'm on high alert. We've got a lot of money. It looks like we're investing well, but we're not doing well in the league. Is it going to be a replication of Cardiff for us? There is something to be said about having people on the board, having people within the top framework of a football club that know about football. It seems so damn obvious, doesn't it, to us? But I I think it goes to show that all the people that think football is big business, I don't think it's just business. It can't just be business. There's still a huge element of sport and sporting brain that's needed there. And there is, to a certain extent, a social responsibility there. Yes, football clubs are businesses now, but they are also huge objects of passion for many people and big pillars, big big pillar points, I suppose, within communities. So you're not just buying a business, you're buying something that activates around the local community and you're buying a passion, a passion that belongs to your fans. So yeah, you have to be really careful about how you handle it. And just to give the complete other extreme... Look at Huddersfield. So you've got a massive team like Cardiff with big investment, lots of money behind it, but just seems to be a little 
unknowing about what to do, where, where that's coming from, I'm saying I'm accusing it being from the top, I don't know. Maybe Neil Warnock will be able to change that. But look at Huddersfield, who've got very little cash, but such great team ethos, and they're doing so well. All right, well, I'm going to move out of uh, the English leagues and go across to one whole league that's in a whole heap of trouble. A whole league? A whole league. Not just a team in a league, but a whole league at the Greek Super League. Uh, they're not having a very good season at all. All kinds of things going on here. You may have sort of briefly picked this up through your news channels, but I'll give you the whole picture. The start of the season had already been postponed for two weeks in September. There's a long-running dispute um, between the selection of referees, um, who who referees those top clubs in Greece, um, the Greek League and the government. So there was a whole triangle of um, war going on there about referees and the selection of referees. Then, unfortunately... Uh, Last week, there was a suspected arson attack. So basically, the head of the Greek refereeing committee, which is called the Hellenic Football Federation, EPO is what it's called, Georgios Bikas, his holiday home, was the subject of an arson attack. Fortunately, there was no one at home. His wife had left a couple of hours before to see their son in the nearby city of Salonika. It could have been very, very bad. As a result of that... So that comes on the back of another member of the refereeing committee being threatened by two men on his doorstep. That incident happened a few weeks earlier and led to the resignation of all three of the refereeing committee members. So that had already happened. Now you've got this arson attack. So what could the Greek Super League done? Well, what they've done is they've suspended all matches whilst this is looked into. They've condemned the violence, um, called on the government to bring those responsible for the suspected arson attack to justice. So they have really, really put their foot down on this one. You could say that the fans miss out, but actually there are question marks over who's behind this kind of spate of attacks. They were due to restart this week. Now, as we record this, nothing's happened yet. Um, I know that they're due to restart soon. I'm Gary Neville, and you're listening to The Offside Rule. Well, on Friday night, I can't even remember this very well, Kate, because I landed <laughs> from South Africa. I've had a little holiday during the last international break. And in true Lindsay style, got from the airport, went and had my nails done, put my glad rags on and met you. And it's all a bit of a haze after that. But I hear, or I can sort of vaguely remember, i tell you what I remember. Lucy Bronze won an award, so did Jordan Nobbs. And there was a football boot for a dessert. <laughs> there was a huge chocolate football boot for a dessert. And you opened up the boots and there were little sort of goodies and, and a raspberries and chocolate bits inside. It was very nice, although we couldn't manage it all. We also had um, a great chat to Glenn Moore as well. No longer of the Independent, but we're chatting to him about his best football stories. It was nice. It's always nice, isn't it, to catch up with broadcasting friends, writing friends, people from the women's football world. Yes. Uh, Manchester City women got Club of the Year as well. Um, it has been a sensational year for them and they've still got Champions League football yeah. to carry on playing. Um, we thought that we'd get a little chat in. You decided to come up with this feature, Best Eleven. Mm -hmm. And considering that they were all flocked there because they were winning everything going, we had our pick of players. And who did we get? Jill Scott. Jill, we've got a best 11 for you. Not 11 players, but the best 11 answers that you can try and come up with to these. Uh, first question for you. One sentence on your club season. Um, a domestic double winning season. Fantastic. <laughs> like in the alliteration. Um, one item or a person that you couldn't have been without this season. Um, can I have 
I'll have to have my nephews and my niece, I think. My niece was born this year. I know that's three people, um, so that was fantastic as well to kind of get that family delight as well as the football delight as well. There were a lot of babies at Man City this year. Nick Cushing as well, having yeah. his. Yeah, there was only a week between them, actually, um, and I think he kind of just got to the birth of his, so that was fantastic and great that little Heidi could come on the pitch and um, get the league trophy with I us. I remember them being with you, actually, when I interviewed you at the end, and you got your... Was that, that, that your nieces and nephews? Yeah, so yeah. Charlie Dex and Dolly, they were there on the last game of the season so yeah, I think there was a few babies babies Aww. running around. <laughs> they were all cuties yeah. all of them. Most underrated player in your side Jill, it could be country or it could be club, most underrated uh, player. This season I would probably have to go for Demi Stokes I think she's been so consistent at left back um, I don't think I've seen a player get past that to be honest and looking at the wingers that we play against each week um, I think she is underrated and doesn't get the plaudits she deserves. People always want to know about nutrition uh, I'm one of them. <laughs> uh, Favourite meal before a game? Just what we'll get at football, really. Um, scrambled egg on toast um, and usually have a bowl of porridge. I don't like to eat too much because it's like 11 o'clock when we eat, so I'm not really ready for my lunch. So it's kind of like a, a late breakfast, like a brunch, really. It's brunch, isn't it, basically? Yeah. yeah. In contrast to that, I want to know your favourite drink after the game, Jill. I think you know what kind of drink I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest, this is probably the year that I haven't had as much to drink as usual. <laughs> Maybe why we've won. Um, but I'd, I actually quite like to have a Diet Coke after the game because I always need a bit of sugar. Jill. So, Jill, come on. No, honestly, that's been being honest. Um, tonight at the FA Awards, I'll have a few glasses of wine. <laughs> but yeah, usually I need a bit of a sugar rush, so it'll be Coca-Cola. What one thing might people not know about you? And I reckon there's a few things in your locker here. Just a little hunch from speaking to some of the other girls. That is a hard question because I'm quite, I do tell everybody everything, <laughs> which is probably something that, well, people would know that about us. Um, I learned to ride a bike when I was three. That's quite an achievement. Very good. Do you do yeah. any other sports? I mean, now probably you don't have time, but did you at any point? Uh, yeah, but people know about that. I used to do running, so I had to choose between kind of running for England or playing for England. So, yeah, running. But I think people probably know that. <laughs> Here's one to have a little think about. You choose last time you felt awkward or the last time that you properly lucked out. Felt awkward. I'm sure I did something the other day when I felt awkward, but I can't remember what it was. I'm on the spot here, you are You are on the spot. Now, right now you feel yeah, awkward. Yeah, yeah. I usually um, forget people's names, which is a really bad trait of mine. So sometimes when I'm coaching, I don't remember all the girls' names. Uh, that was it, actually. I was As in all the girls in the Manchester City squad? No, the, no. no okay. the girls that I'm coaching. But I think that was what it was. I was given like a player of the week out, not at Man City, at my soccer camps. Um, and I think I got the girl's name wrong and this girl stood up and I just end up giving it to her because it was, it was less awkward. <laughs> Always great as well when you're at a social function, like an awards, to know that you don't know everyone's name. Little tip, just go, oh, how are you? Yeah, yeah. How are you? <laughs> how are you? Um, Favourite place to drive or walk to? Um, favourite place to drive to? I, li I like to drive to the Lake District um, when we get a day off sometimes. I like that. I couldn't walk to there. Not many places I could walk to from home because I'm in the middle of nowhere, but if I was at home in Sunderland, I like a little walk to see my grandma. Oh, that's nice. This is a bit weird, but have you ever been, ever been interviewed and come up with a question that you'd most like to ask the person interviewing you? What was your most funniest interview you've ever done? With who? Oh, are you going to go to me straight away first? Um, probably someone like... I'm going to go with... Alan Shearer was pretty funny. 
Uh, yeah, because yeah. he's very good at karaoke, isn't he? And, yeah. and also because you expect him to be so straight laced, and his celebration was always just the point in the air. You think, oh, you've probably not much. He's TV. a really good singer, isn't he? Really, and also really good fun. Yeah. There you go. There you go. We'll have that one together. Um, biggest thing, biggest thing that you're a geek about. Oh, not much, to be honest. Really, Jill? Yeah. Is there like a secret really fascination you've got with something? Aliens, UFOs? No, I'm really untidy, um, not good in the kitchen, so probably I should be more OCD <laughs> and more geeky about a lot of things in life, but I'm very laid back. We know that the lionesses have loved the braiding in the past, but have you got anything like shirt in, sh shirt out, shinies, hat, what, anything that you do? I like, before we kick off, I always have my shirt tucked in because I, I always feel like if you look tidy, you should play tidy. But then as soon as the whistle goes, um, I'll pull Someone it pulls it out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, somebody, somebody usually. Um, and I always put my right boot and my right chin pad on first, which is a bit weird. To wrap it up, it's important that we mention what's happening at Manchester City at the moment because you're, you've reached a pretty special stage in the Champions League. So your final best 11 question, tell us about your next game in one sentence. Um, it's going to be very tough because the last game against Bromby was very physical and I expect the next team's going to be even more physical, but what an opportunity to reach the last four of the Champions League. Yeah, congratulations to Manchester City women for that. Yeah, and a great opportunity. And uh, Tony Duggan set the benchmark for a goal for you now, hasn't she? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a it was a fantastic strike. Um, I think it's gone viral, hasn't yeah. it? So, yeah, Tony always seems to pop up with not just a goal, an extraordinary goal. So, yeah, very happy for her. But more importantly, that we're progressed through to the last eight. Enjoy the awards and enjoy having a drink for once. Thanks, Jill. Thank you. Let's round off by talking about footballing interviews when they don't go quite to plan. Or, in the case of England this week, we feel like there's only Gareth Southgate being interviewed. So is there an interview process as such or is it just an informal chat with one person? And as we record this, we don't know whether he's, he's gone on to get the manager's job full-time or not. But it's, it's made me think about other experiences. I know of one at Wolverhampton Wonders, but I'm going to start with you. Well, I thought I'd pick up on that England team. You may have heard this when Sam Allardyce became England manager, but of course, when he was recently England manager, it wasn't the first time that he'd applied for the job. After uh, Sven Goran Eriksson was biffed, Allardyce went up for the job. He Allardyce went up for the job. The eventual man to get it, by the way, was Steve McLaren. So that's where we are in this kind of footballing timeline. Um, but Allardyce went up for the job that McLaren got, uh, and he's quoted as saying that he wanted to do a real knock your socks off interview for the FA. He said so. He he likes his tech doesn't he? Now, 10 years ago, PowerPoint was still a big deal, Lindsay. <laughs> you love a PowerPoint. <laughs> uh, PowerPoint was massive 10 years ago, and Allardyce wrote about this in his book. He said that he did a great PowerPoint presentation, nothing missing, he said, and nobody but nobody was going to beat what he had to offer in this diamond-level PowerPoint presentation. But when he got to the FA, Brian Barwick, the chief executive at the time, explained that there were no PowerPoint facilities at the interview venue, so he had to print the whole thing off. So oh. poor old Sam Allardyce and his techie PowerPoint revolutionary interview technique. Alan Kerbishley used to work at Sky Sports a fair bit, and when I was working at Sky Sports, often had a bit of a chat. And I have to say, it was an interesting one, because at the time, Wolves had got rid of my beloved Mick... McCarthy. Oh, sad times, sad times. Very sad times. Um, now, Stella Solbakken ended up being the man that came in. Mm. And everyone's who? thinking, who? <laughs> yeah, Wolves fans, that, that manager that we all want to just forget about for a while. 
what was happening at the time, many people were being linked with that Wolves vacancy, mm. some of which I was getting very excited about. And one of the names um, on the list was Walter Smith. And he's a very knowledgeable man. He was only meant to be coming in short term, mm. but there was a rumour that he would. Steve Bruce was a big link to the Wolves job as well at the time and has apparently been interviewed for the Wolves job quite a few times. And then a man that was stood right in front of me at Sky Sports on a day that I was working and it was hot topic and I thought I'm going to speak to you about this and see whether you were ever in the running Mm. because I quite fancied having Alan Kerbishley there at the time and I was having a chat and he said do you know what I was very very close to having that job but at the time Steve Morgan was the new owner and Jez Moxie as the the chief exec had been basically leaving him hanging and saying we've not made our mind up so they dilly dallied dilly dallied so much so that Alan Kerbishley in the end went if you don't want me you don't want me I'm taking myself out of it and I thought that was a very interesting insight because we often discredit clubs when they don't get it right and I think this is an example of where Wolves didn't get it right they didn't act quick enough but we should also credit and I do think Daniel Levy despite being quite a hard taskmaster he does business well Mm. and it's very rare that with a club like Tottenham, maybe Southampton's another great example. They usually are thinking ahead as to who they're having. There's something to be said for that and we should actually give the credit where it's deserved there in the recruitment process because sometimes it can go disastrously wrong. I'm sure you've got some examples of where it has. Well, I've dug out here and I love these. When normal people apply for football manager jobs because, of course, these jobs, I don't know whether they have to be, but they can be advertised. Now, this one drew my attention and I'll just skim through a few bits of it because it is a brilliant application, but it's pretty lengthy. So do look this up on the net if you can. This was a chap who decided to apply for the Liverpool manager's job when things weren't going so well for Brendan Rodgers. And he starts off with, I know this goes against normal procedure, but I wish to apply for the position of manager at Liverpool Football Club. I hope Brendan Rodgers can turn things around, but when he can't, I wanted to let you know that I'm available. My experience, he goes on, I'm very versatile and I'm an enthusiastic team player that offers a wealth of experience in the plumbing and heating industry, which could uh, come in very handy during the winter months. As a football manager, uh, he lists all of his credentials here. Manager of Grantley Girls FC, under eights. Pitcher and piano, Arbury and District Sunday League. There you go, he's been a big part of that one. He said, so I have a no-lose record of 66%, (laughs) which comfortably puts me up there with the greatest managers in history. As a keen student of the game, he goes on under his subheading My Football Philosophies. It's clear to me that football has changed quite significantly over the past decade. Following thorough research, I've identified three tactics that will enable us to gain a key advantage over our opponents. Number one, get it up to the big lad. And on it goes. Uh, Number two, deep heat. And number three, the bodyguard. I'm not suggesting for one minute he goes on that we sign Kevin Costner. No, I'm referring, of course, to Adebayo Akinfenwe, the strongest (laughs) footballer in the world. Who, talking of football interviews, actually advertised live on television for his latest (laughs) role when he he, he was with Wimbledon, wasn't he? And then then went on and, yeah, got picked up via YouTube, I think. Uh, It's genius, by the way. Look it up if you can. I think it's dated towards the end of 2014. It is a good giggle. Well done to this chap for giving it a go. And rumour has it, I can't divulge names on this one. It's a reporter secrecy. So this is some years ago, but I will say it was a London club. Is this a secret then? Well, it's a rumour that I've never had clarified, so I don't know whether it is actually true, but it did the rounds at the time when I was working, Mm. that a very big name in football, quite a well-known manager, who household name, was interviewed for quite a big job, but the board forgot that he was outside waiting for the interview and left him for hours. 
So thank you very much for coming to the interview. Sorry we didn't realise that you were here. Job. Yes, and I think apparently this said person got very cheesed off, then wouldn't entertain the job. Ooh, drama. Yeah, drama, drama. So whether this... I, I will get to the bottom of this one day in my life to find out whether it's true or not. But yeah, if it is... Big mistake by this club because this manager, I, I, re, I really want to tell you, but I'm not going to say, but they've gone on to do very well, let's just say. So a big London club forgot about this person waiting outside for an interview. He realised what happened and biffed them off. Yes. I think we should leave it there. You've got to get off to your little boy's birthday party. Art, who you've seen on the uh, on the podcast as I've been holding him and we've been recording and put photos up, he's how old? He's going to be two. <gasps> two years yeah. old but I've done very badly working mum scenario I haven't bought him a birthday cake the party's in a few hours I'm going to run home I need to buy a cake get some decorations and make some sandwiches oh well good luck with that thanks very much for keeping me company in an underground car park this yeah. week no Hayley McQueen uh, we hope she's better she's had a real bad dose of flu she has and so she's recovering this week chilling out a little bit yeah, we'll be back in a fortnight. In the meantime, check out offsiderallpodcast.com for some daily articles, loads more content going up there. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter at offsiderallpod, a like on Facebook, and uh, yeah, keep listening. We'll keep you entertained over the Christmas period. It might be getting cold and damp out there, but you've always got us offside rule girls. The female take on football. Sports Social Podcast Network.